Welcome to a special episode of our Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand series brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity. For more information on the Rainmaker Multiplier process and a list of all podcasts in this series, visit ClarityToProsperity.com. I am super excited and I'm nerding out a little bit having this conversation today with this coffee break topic of behavioral finance because I love this topic. It is so powerful. So today we're going to do, I'm going to have one of our behavioral finance experts from Orion talk about what it is. And then we're going to have two of our top-notch advisors with C2P, Jeanette Bajalia and Walter Young, talk about how they currently work with their clients and they've already been using techniques to overcome some of the behavioral biases. So in order to start this, I want to introduce Cade from Orion. Cade Acres, I don't want to mispronounce his hyphenated name, but would you please share with us what the heck is behavioral finance? Yeah, would be happy to. Thanks, everybody. And uh, thanks for having me here. Happy uh, Thursday morning. So what the heck is behavioral finance? Behavioral finance is a slightly different approach to thinking about and framing financial conversations. It's really it's really not much more than that. So I'll, it's probably easier to describe it in comparison to what it's not. And I'll reference a couple of studies here. When you think about kind of the, the traditional finance approach, you think about things like you know tax management and optimization. Behavioral finance is more like behavioral coaching and client assessment and goals-based planning. So it's really trying to tease out the why and investing. And I think that's a, as, as a brief description, I think that's a good place to start. Now you spoke about a few, a few studies and I know that Orion has been very powerful in creating tools and using these studies to really help advisors when they're in front of their clients. Like how can you help advisors? What's, and what, I guess I should back up. What's the difference between financial decisions which are rational between, but versus those that are irrational. Sure. Well, so there's a, a book that I love. And if anybody as a follow-up to this conversation, if you want to, if you want to have a, a good quick read, I would highly recommend this book. It's by an author named Morgan Housel. And the book is called The Psychology of Money. And he talks about decisions, financial decisions specifically, which are rational and those which are reasonable. And the the difference between decisions that are rational and reasonable really, you know, bring finance, finance behavioral finance, you know, right in the crosshair. So, the the famous example that he gives is, you know, he's he, his friends were questioning his, you know, finance bona fides after he decided to pay down his mortgage faster in a historic, you know, low interest rate environment, and his his retort based was that for him, even though it's it seems irrational who kind of became a, a tech person, but we could all, you know, get get the pen and paper out and, and get our financial calculators and and tell a client who's thinking about doing a similar thing that it's it's irrational to do this. The numbers are not going to bear out at the end. And ultimately it's in there, you know, keep the 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 low interest rate. But for him, it was more reasonable and it wasn't, you know, earth shattering. It didn't worsen his financial position and it really improved his ability to stick with his financial plan. So that's just 
just one example in the real world of how a decision might not seem rational on its face, but can still be reasonable. And I think it, from heirs who their predecessors have, have passed on, there's like a selection bias there. They're very reticent to, to sell some of those securities. And I think we can all relate to that. Even though that's not necessarily the most rational thing, the behavioral side of things tells us that that is reasonable. And advisors, at least at Orion, what we're trying to encourage advisors to do and create the technology for is to normalize those conversations so that advisors really know why investors are doing what they're doing. There's this amazing phenomenon called mental accounting, which we can definitely get into. But anyway, that just wanted to address that, that first question about rational versus reasonable. Right. And you mentioned a study, and I think you're referring to the Merrill Lynch study that juxtaposed traditional financial planning approaches. Do you want to go into a little bit about that study and why it's really important to this conversation before we do talk about behavioral finance and behavioral economics? Absolutely. So there was a, there's a study by Merrill Lynch, and I'll just try to set it up here verbally. There's, there's a slide that if anybody's interested in, I could, I could send you the slides after the call, but it's broken into, there's, you know, the, the, this, the screen is split in half. It's broken into two sides. There's old school and there's new school. And the old school is not a pejorative at all. It's just a, it's just a way to, to describe traditional financial planning approaches. So imagine that in the, in the, on the left side of the screen, in the old school column, there's asset allocation, there's tax management, product allocation, rebalancing. And on the right-hand side, there are things like client assessment, behavioral coaching, goal optimization, and savings and withdrawal guidance. What Merrill Lynch did in a study is compare all those items against each other and they translated them to actual basis point value returns in terms of investment outcomes. And they compared them. So the upshot is of, of this research was that every single thing that advisors do is additive. And that's good. That should be hardening. I mean, all the things that all of the arrows in the quiver are useful. And uh, but what might be surprising is that the items on the right, right, you know, the right hand side of the screen, which are the new school, even the least valuable item there is more valuable than the most valuable item on the left. So behavioral coaching was the most valuable item in the new school. And that translated to something to the tune of 240 basis points, additional return. So that's additional alpha as opposed to tax management and optimization was the most valuable at right around 62 basis points over time. So that this is powerful stuff. Some of this is attributable to, you know, if, if you, a lot of clients who feel that they can talk to their advisors about money, by the way, there's 64%, 64%. I'm a financial planner. My, my jaw is always a gape when I read the statistics. 64% of clients who have a financial planner who have a financial plan don't feel that they have anyone to talk to about their money, including their advisor. And, and that's a pretty arresting statistic. So in terms of when we, when we go back to that Merrill Lynch study, part of the reason that behavioral coaching goal optimization can be so powerful is because, you know, clients whose advisors are doing that for them or with them stick with their advisors for longer. That gives you a longer time to be able to implement your plan and your strategy and then benefit from you know, the good, the the rewards and the compounding effect of, of good investor. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. And, and team, Orion has got a lot of 
information, support, and technology to help with behavioral finance. It's phenomenal. I think we could probably talk all day on some of the things that they can do to support you and your practice on navigating some of these different things. So we'll provide some information how to get in touch with either Kate or Valerie so you can learn more, get access to the blogs and to their information because we want to make sure that you are all trained up because when Kate's talking about behavioral finance and he's talking about taxes, asset allocation, the first thing that pops into my head is I am so thankful to be part of an organization like C2P that gives us a phenomenal process like bucket plan training so that we can have the right plan in place for our clients as well as tax management journey, which I really do help believe help us overcome some of the behavioral economics and behavioral finance of the biases like mental accounting, loss aversion, overconfidence, et cetera. But I kind of want to turn it now because we've got two baristas on that do a phenomenal job, not just planning, but working with different groups to get them to the table and to the end result of having happy clients. And this is where I want to kind of bring Jeanette in because I'm fangirling over here because Jeanette's got a phenomenal program and she's got a three-pronged approach on hitting an area or working with an area that's underserved. So Jeanette, do you want to talk a little bit about how you're using behavioral finance and helping single women, divorcees and widowers with your three-pronged approach with the bucket plan training? Basically, I have modified it significantly because let's face it, the financial industry is left-brained. It's all that tax management. It's all that I mean, what was just shared, the old school. And the old school leaves the female advisor behind. And if y'all just Google the research and the data and say, where is the trillions of dollars of wealth going to be handed off to? And the financial industry is way behind. So basically what I do is I just, I just work the heart. You know, you could call it, you know, it's my undergraduate degree, psychology, my graduate degree, one of them's in clinical counseling. And it's like, I've always been behaviorally oriented growing up in leadership ranks because you can't get to people's head to make the right financial choices until you get to their heart. And with women, that's the most critical thing. So you can call, you can call it sequence of returns risk. You have to, I have to change my language. That's how I engage the female financial consumer. I I just got a widow. She got widowed in October. I couldn't convert her with her husband because he was the primary decision maker. She wanted to work with us. Well, he died. And guess what? Her and her $4 million are coming over. We're working with her right now because she's saying, I need a lifestyle approach. I'm left with $2 million of IRA. So I can talk tax planning till the cows come home until I can show her how her lifestyle and what she wants to do for those children and grandchildren and the gifting strategy. So for me, but the behavioral finance, it's get human, bring humanity into the discussion. You can take that connection questionnaire that's a part of the, because I see it done all the time. You can take that connection questionnaire and you can go through it as a intake form like doctors do and your medical professionals and everything. Or you can just set it aside and have a human conversation and get every element that you need mostly. And then at the very end of the conversation say, well, let me make sure I got everything so I can determine how we move forward. So I think for me, I'll stop rambling right now, but I'm passionate about this because I love it when when the female financial consumer is the most underserved market. 
still today, and I've been I've been writing, researching, speaking about this market for the last over a decade. But right now I'm thinking, thank you guys, because there's so few of us female advisors to capture them and work with them the right way. Well, if Kate is saying that 64% of clients don't feel like they have a person to have a conversation with about their fears, concerns, and financial future, and we have statistics that say only 41% of women feel that they're getting the right financial advice, Jeanette, when you're talking about this, it sounds like this is an awesome opportunity to take a step back, look at our process, and then think about how can we overcome some of these financial behavioral biases. So, I mean, what, what challenges do you have when working with women to help them get comfortable, confident in your plan? I speak their language. I speak the language of, well, your, their goal. Everything, every discussion, their, their goals and their dreams and their objectives come in and they're human. They're not, I want to, I want to make a 10% return or I'm okay. You know, I'd say 85% of the women I serve, and these are some very sophisticated women as well. They don't care about those models. I had one in last night doing a review. She's got 1.9 million and she's got 575 sitting in cash. I said, oh, well, where'd this come from? Well, you know, my brother died and I got an inheritance. She didn't care about how her assets were invested in that later bucket. And I said, what do you want this money to do for you? She, she, and she, and it's more emotional, especially that the wealth transference is through inheritances. It's more emotional for us as advisors to understand the emotional impacts of that inheritance. It's a lot different than money they save and to work with it and protect it and preserve it. Because that's what she says. She says, I want full protection. I want no risk. And so it's, I don't know if that's the, if that's what you wanted, but I basically just focus them on what do you want? Forget what the economy is saying, forget what this is doing. Let's get human about it. How can I best serve you? And, and for me, I have tissue boxes everywhere because women will not admit that they made stupid decisions with money. And so the part of that behavioral finance is allowing them the opportunity to say, I've made the not wise decisions where I don't even open up my statements. I think you've hit it on the head. You may have not used the scientific terms that are in the, the article, but one of the key art points from the blog I was reading by Orion from Orion is identifying and understanding a client's biases and emotions is key to creating a sophisticated and personal response to them. So it's phenomenal that we've got this track to run on with the bucket plan. It is a phenomenal sophisticated, simplified approach to financial planning, but that doesn't mitigate the fact that we have to take a minute to stop, pause, and really listen and hear what our clients are saying to us. So I appreciate your approach and you sharing that. Built on the foundation of the award-winning bucket plan process, Clarity to Prosperity's proven processes, training, and coaching can help you increase your revenue. If you are a growth-minded, independent financial advisor, you qualify for a free copy of the Bucket Plan book. Go to claritytoprosperity.com forward slash offer to get your free book today. That's claritytoprosperity.com forward slash offer. I know that you and Walter have worked together on some life insurance or started to work together on some life insurance cases. So I kind of want to get Walter's approach because I have to represent the Pacific Northwest today and have Walter on as well. 
And Walter, you as well as Jeanette have a really high emotional intelligence and you have a great way of working with clients and getting granular with them to uncover their needs and really take care of their needs. Do you want to maybe share a little bit about your approach? And yeah, <clears throat> so probably not too dissimilar to Jeanette, although I, I do it more on the academic side of the house where I want people to, I want to dispel some of the common beliefs people come into the office with, some of the biases that they've, that they've grown either from TV or other advisors and, and really begin to understand that the economic world changes from time to time. And there's, there's research and there's, there's breakthroughs and it takes a long time for some of that academic evidence to kind of trickle down to, to the main street. And so my, what I, I really want people to understand is that your traditional way of financial planning is not necessarily always the way that we're doing it today. And, and so that really requires going down a journey of being able to open people's minds to being able to accept new ideas or new research that's coming out that hasn't necessarily become popular, right? So sometimes doing something that's popular is the easiest thing to do, but it's not necessarily you know, academically the, the, the best thing for a financial plan. So we spend a lot, I spend a lot of time trying to level set ideas, you know, uncover some of those, those tr things that we think are true or not true. And sometimes that's through stories. Sometimes that's through actual really rigor ac academic studies that we go through, depending, you know, up here in the Northwest, there's a lot of engineer types. So sometimes you got to dig into the math and that's fine too. But for most of the time, it's really just trying to get people to open their minds to say, okay, let, what is the latest and greatest way of thinking now? And then applying that to the overall financial plan. And so a lot of people just like the idea of, of just getting analogies, taking things that are complicated and trying to make them simple. And that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. I think it's important, and I've said this in some of my podcasts, but it's important that we go to the table that they set for us, not set the table for them, because we're going to miss out on important cues of what's important to them. And when talking about behavioral finance, a few of the biases that are out there and Walter, Jeanette, or any advisor that really wants to share how they overcome them, or Kate, if you've got some insights as well, but some of the biases are mental accounting, loss aversion, overconfidence. And I don't have any of you advisors have met with somebody that's like, I know what I'm doing, I can do this. And they turn around and lose a bunch of money and they come back to you. Anchoring bias, putting too much value on a piece of information. Right now, the news cycle is at our fingertips 24-7. So people are getting information and coming to you with wrong ideas. And then hurt behavior. So how are you seeing these type of things, these type of biases show up in your planning? And how are you overcoming them? Jeanette, I think Walter? If you, I think one of the most powerful thing is questions. You know, questions. So I mean, it's, it's almost like the Socratic method of just asking questions and to some degree you're leading them down a path because you know you know you, you kind of know especially if people are overconfident or they think what they know is not necessarily the latest thinking it's just once you start to ask questions then it starts to unveil certain areas of truths or things that maybe they don't necessarily think you know things they think they are true that aren't so i think tr questions i think analogies are really important and just putting it into the terms the way they think Everyone's different. You know, they could be very academically oriented. They could be much more story form. It's our job to speak the right language, right? And so we have to be multilingual to be able to sit down across somebody and say, okay, what kind of person am I talking with? And what are, what's the best communication style that they will actually hear? Yeah, and Walter hit the nail on the head. It's the, the learning style and the communication style of those people sitting across from us. Usually we have a one size fits all style, but if we don't spend enough time at the front end, cultivating that that relationship to understand 
and I, I often come out and said, how deep and how broad do you want to get in this planning if it relates to information, you know? And so, because, you know, thankfully, I'm able to get them to trust me pretty quickly, you know, because if they trust you, then they don't want that much. They don't want to be slammed with all of these, you know, yes, let's do a Roth conversion, but here's the bottom line. Here's what it means to your taxes. Are you prepared to write a check? Saying, are you prepared to write a check for $15,000 is a lot different than giving them spreadsheet after spreadsheet, showing them the retirement analyzer, or just giving them a one-page perspective. If you did nothing, here's what your taxes are if you did something. So it's the learning style and the receptivity to how deep people get. In the What I find is, and that's well, I have to be careful of with the bucket plan. I want to embrace it. It's a successful, it gives a successful track record, but doggone it to use it as a one size fits all approach just doesn't make sense. I could get the same outcome given someone 40% of what they, because that's who they are and that's how they make their decisions versus giving them the entire inclusive situation. And then I can see with the life insurance that I've worked with Walter, the way he works with, with us on, on some case designs for, for individuals where you have a husband and wife who have different goals for how much legacy they want to leave behind. Husband, just wife refuses to let husband spend money because she wants to leave several million dollars to the daughters. Husband says, oh no, we, we, we need to spend money. There will be plenty left for the girls. And so to say, well, you know, how do we use Walter and I to bring them to the table to ensure that, well, you know, we can accomplish. It's not either or because it's always either or it's win lose. It's a risk reward. You know, it's it's we have to bring them to the table and be clear with them based on their receptivity to information and information sharing and the, given their learning style. I think one of the greatest analogies might be when you go buy a car, some people need to know the specs of the engine and all the things that go into it. Other people just want to sit in the seat, smell that new car smell, turn on the engine and feel it rumble. And that's what they want out of it, right? Some people actually want to know, you know, how does the mechanical engine part work? Other people just want that qualitative feel that this is the right car for me. It feels right. And so you just have to know who are you working with? That's a really great analogy. That's great. And Kate was going to jump in with some insights as well, because this, this blog that Elaine put in the chat is full of phenomenal information. Yeah, I just on, on Walter's point there about the, the car analogy, uh, there was just another from the Accenture study. You might think I, I mentioned all of the behaviors that advisors engage in additive, and that's great. But 90 looking for in an advisor from the Accenture study is an advisor who just gets them. Someone who just gets them, someone who just kind of understands them. And I think that's what Jeanette and Walter are and you know are talking about. That's what this is all focused around. A lot of you are probably already doing this intuitively, but it's it's so easy as as new technology emerges, as you know, there's direct indexing and all these new tools. It's sorry, I just got the the notice that my internet might be unstable, but Anyway, I just wanted to mention that that Accenture study. So I think with what Kate is saying, which Jeanette and Walter have been speaking to, is it's no matter where we are in our careers in FinServer financial services, this is a relationship business. I don't think in order to be long-term successful as a holistic pl planner, it's not transactional. 
it's relationship-based. And if we're getting studies that say 91% of people want to have an advisor who gets them, it's our fiduciary responsibility to take a time, a moment to stop, pause, and really understand how our behavior and our relationship navigates their financial happiness from an emotional point of view. Would you agree with that, Walter, Jeanette? Yeah, you know, I keep going back to, and I know, you know, as I mentor younger advisors, you know, I just, we're very clear, especially the more credentials you tend to get, the more letters behind your name, the more initials that you get behind there, we tend to forget that that's not relevant. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's the way I think I've achieved a high degree of success because I just care more about that person sitting across the street. And, you know, they're just gonna have to get out of me what I know based on how much information of, how much of that what I know do they need? I don't knock and slam dunk it on them. Walter, it looks like you unmuted, but I love that, Jeanette. Cause I don't, I mean, I don't think, when I look at my parents and I look at how they treated finances, my dad did it and it was all like, boom, this is what you're going to do. But there's no conversation for my mom to feel comfortable. So I like that perception, Jeanette. I think, you know, somewhat tongue in cheek, you know, our emotional connection is what is what separates us from all this new AI. Right? So you know, the math can be done probably at some point fairly quickly, but it's this connectivity that's still going to be what is makes us valuable. and. Uh, I think that's, you know, keep, keep working on that component. I think we're all a work in progress and just new AI, that would be a topic for a whole other coffee break. And, you know, we've all seen Total Recall or whatever the movie is where they take over and we're in, or Terminator, wrong Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. But we just need to make sure that we keep like the humanity, human and humanity and the kind and kindness and work with our clients and talk with them about what their goals and aspirations are and understand what they're looking to accomplish. Again, I'm gonna go back to this Orion article. It talks about leveraging the financial, the, the behavior finance principles of taking a long-term view, implementing goals, integrating a systematic approach. And what this does for advisors, and it's so important, is it deepens the trust with clients. They have increased retention. It's keeping clients invested during periods of volatility. It's circumventing emotional decision-making. I don't know how many advisors had clients upset last fall when they saw the bond market went down and they lost some money. It's helping the clients understand that you're there with them, not just for them, you're with them in this situation. We're coming up to the end of our 30 minutes. Is there any imparting advice, words of wisdom, Jeanette? After you said that, I just wanted to share, I see it often is, you know, how much, how much you are involved with them doesn't mean just around the money matters. It, I mean, to get to having them to disclose all the money matters, it's what about when one of their spouses is in hospice or they got that terminal illness? Are we there as an advisory group or are we only there to do their reviews and this and the other? But are we taking time out of our calendars to go nurture that relationship with that family going through this amazing crisis? Because you know what? Both of them may be gone tomorrow and we need to show up because we have to cultivate that relationship with the next generation. And you can only do that at a human level. That's what the differentiator is. It is not in our rates of returns and how fancy our bucket plans are. That's what I just, I just see, you know, it's, 
cultivating that relationship with the families in the really bad times. That's what the emotional intelligence is really about. Yeah, everybody can handle the good times when the market's up or when everyone's happy, healthy, and terrific. So I, I appreciate that, that you say that because when people go through things, we need to show up and we need to be present. So thank you. Walter, any last thoughts? No, I think that's very good. I think that is that is putting the human in human, right? When when you when you go above and beyond that. So some of that, you know, I think it's just it's just being yourself and being relationship with people. I mean, it's there is some very seriousness part to our business, but then there's also a fun part of our business, which is getting to know about people's families and what impact we're having. Very true. It's the relationships that make our world go round. And I want to thank Cade for joining us today. He, I think he's he's had some in, internet issues. We'll get you the information. If you have questions, let, let us know. Let Cade know. Walter and Jeanette, thank you for sharing your insights, your observations. I always feel like when I have you or have a conversation with you, I gain so much. Thank you all for joining us. Next week's topic, we got big hitters on with us. Practice Evolution with Jason Smith, Carl Smith, The Hammer, Greg Hammer, and John Del Greco, and our very own Pablo. So we look forward to seeing you guys next week. And whatever you do today, make it an awesome day. Interested in learning more about the topics discussed today? We want to know more about your challenges and priorities and how we can help build your custom roadmap to success. That's right, a custom roadmap built just for you. Schedule a free 20-minute consultation with one of our business development partners. Visit c2pe.info forward slash podcast to schedule a time that's good for you. That's c2pe.info forward slash podcast.